Almighty Father, we thank you. You indeed have welcomed us into your family. You have made us into your people. And I pray that you would speak to us this morning and not only give us information, but that you would use your word and what you reveal about Christ and what Christ has done for us, that it would transform us and transform the culture of our congregation, that we indeed would be radically centered on the gospel and shaped by the gospel, um, that we might be uh, used by you to transform this community. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just use this time for your glory and our good. It's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue to uh, to journey through Romans chapter 15, we're going to see another characteristic of a gospel-shaped church. And as we've mentioned before, Romans, uh, the letter that Paul wrote, Romans is really a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Rome, and he spent most of the letter writing and and spelling out and and talking about all that that God has done for us in Christ and what that means. And so most of the letter to the Romans is this long, powerful proclamation of the gospel. And at the end of of the letter, in Romans chapter 15, Paul basically makes a shift and he says, okay, I've told you about the gospel this is what it looks like when the gospel is lived out. This is what it looks like in your congregation, church at Rome, it, it, when you live out the gospel of Jesus. And we've looked at all those things. Of course, last week we looked about how there's a unity, a harmony, uh, that church is the place when, when a, a congregation is gospel-centered. The church is a place where people can come and be themselves. You know, oftentimes... We, in church world, it's the last place where you can be honest and be yourself. And we looked at last week that if a, if a culture of a congregation is such that you have to hide who you really are out of shame or because there's an understanding of the church that it's a place to display your virtue, that's not a gospel-centered church culture. That a, a gospel-centered church culture is where you understand that the church is a hospital for sinners and there is confession and there's a freedom to, to be able to say, this is who I am, and I have the freedom to be who I am because of the gospel, right? And we looked at that last week. Today, uh, we're going to see, and this is, oh man, I just, I love this one. Uh, we're going to see the fourth characteristic of a gospel-centered church. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verse 7. Tammy uh, read it for us earlier. Paul continues on this, and he says, <clears throat> Therefore... You want to be a gospel-centered church culture? This is what it's going to look like. Therefore, what? Welcome one another. Therefore, welcome one another. Welcome one another. Welcome the stranger. But don't just welcome in the same way that the rest of the world welcomes. I mean, you can go to a lot of places in our culture and be welcomed. Uh, oftentimes I've seen uh, Disney, Disney World, or Disneyland. The Disney World's the one in Florida, right? Disney World, they are lauded for uh, being a place of, of really uh, uh, a sort of supreme, perfect hospitality. If you go to Disney, and we went to Disney, we took Emma several years back, and, and they do. They make, they make you feel special from day one, right? They make you feel special. They, they welcome you. But as, as great as a welcome as Disney gives, Paul is saying, church, you are, to, you are to give a welcome that is even deeper than that. 
You are to give. I mean, because Disney, they were very hospitable and very welcoming. Why? They wanted my money, right? <laughs> and uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But he says, so, so welcome, but don't welcome. I want you to welcome in a very particular way. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. That all this is to the glory of God, that we are to welcome in the same way that Christ has welcomed us. And that's, that's huge, isn't it? Because how has Christ welcomed us? Christ, was Christ merely friendly toward us? No. The, the, the welcome that Jesus Christ has given to us is like this. I mean, we, we started, we were not a part of God's kingdom. We were not as part of, a part of God's family. We were aliens to God. Sometimes we talk about how we're all children of God. And, you know, we're, we're really, I think, what we mean and what we communicate is that God loves every one of his creatures. Every man and woman that God has created, God has a deep, radical love for that man or for that woman because Christ died for that man or that woman. But according to the scriptures, not everyone is a member of God's family. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creatures. And that but until before Christ got a hold of us, I, I was a stranger to God. I was living in rebellion against God, running headlong away from God in God's ways. I was completely separated and estranged. I was unlike God in every single way imaginable. And yet, and yet, I didn't go and seek after God. God pursued me, and in Christ, God did everything that was necessary to have, to, to have my sins forgiven, for me to be cleansed of all my unrighteousness, to be brought back into God's uh, family and God's kingdom, that in a radical act of grace, Christ died for my sins, rose for my salvation. And then, not only that, God welcomed me and, and you into not only his kingdom, but into his family. This is how Paul put it in another letter to he, that he wrote to a church in Galatia. He wrote, But when the, time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That we are adopted. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that because of what Christ has done for us, that those who, who place their trust in Christ and receive what Christ has done are adopted into God's family. We're adopted as sons. And, and if we're men, we're adopted as sons. As, if we're women, we're adopted as sons. It's important because in this culture, sons could inherit the, the estate of their father. That he's saying that all of us, men, women, everyone, we, we, we are adopted and can receive the inheritance given to us by our heavenly father. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Because we're adopted, we're able to call a God, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now that's a radical welcome, isn't it? It goes far beyond God just being friendly to us. But God saying, I want you to be a part, not just of my kingdom, but of my family. I want you, God says, to be able to call me father. That's the radical kind of welcome 
that God has given to us. Now, so if we are to welcome in the same way that Jesus has welcomed us, that means that we are to welcome those who are strangers, including and maybe especially those who are nothing like us. I mean, God didn't say, all right, Clint, you need to become just like me and then I'll welcome you. God didn't do that. God said, I'm going to welcome you and then I'm going to do my work in you. But the welcome came first, didn't it? Right? That we are to do the same thing, that we are to welcome especially those who are not like us and, and invite them to be one of us because that's what God has done for us. Um, a gospel-shaped church can be recognized by the radical hospitality and the welcome that they give to others. That the, the gospel-shaped church, the gospel-centered church is recognized by radical hospitality. Not just run-of-the-mill hospitality, but radical hospitality. Because it's a hospitality that says, we're not just glad you're here. We want you to be one of us. You know what? That's powerful. It's powerful. Because here's, here's what, if I invited you to come up, Share your stories. Like last week, you know, if we were all really being honest. Here's what I know about. All of our stories are unique, aren't they? All of our stories are different. But here's what I know. I'm willing to bet that every single one of us here, the worst experiences of our lives are almost certainly experiences where we were in an environment and we long to be welcomed and we long to be made a part of of a group or a community or a family, and we were not welcomed. And it could be all kinds of... I've heard stories of, of spouses, of husbands or wives, and maybe even instances where they, they had lost their own family. And, so, and then they got married, and they longed to be, to be welcomed into a new family, the family of their husband or their wife. But when, when they came, they, they were not welcomed by that family. Simply because, and it may have just simply been because they didn't share the DNA of that family. And the pain of that continues on. But here's, here's, here, here's the other thing. If, if you were to share some of your best experiences in life, some of your best, most joyful experiences were time when you came into an environment and you were made to feel welcome. And it wasn't, it wasn't welcome where just people were friendly. It went deeper than that, wasn't it? It was, it was where you came and, and there was a group or maybe a family or a person. They said, we want you. Come, be one of us. And you were made to belong. It was that kind of welcome. And that's what you wanted. And that's what you needed. And that was one of the most joyful, beautiful stories of your life. There's something powerful about welcome. And what Paul is saying is that, see, we, we think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And, and if you're like me, you probably think Billy Graham, right? You think Billy Graham in front of 40,000 people just talking, boop, 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 which is good, right? You know, this is what Jesus has done, boop, 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 boop. And then you know, people just come up to the altar. But what Paul is saying, he's saying that the most powerful expression of the gospel 
isn't just merely what we say. It isn't the track that someone leaves on the toilet at Barnes & Noble or wherever it may be. That the most radical expression of the gospel is simply to say to someone who is a stranger, we want you to be one of us. Which is good news. Because if you're like me and you're a little bit introverted and the last thing you want to, you know, we talk about sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, and you're like, oh, that's great. But when I'm on the airplane seat next to some stranger or I'm on the the elevator, you know, next to some stranger, the last thing I want to do is say, have you heard about Jesus? Right. And some of you, you're like me. That, That just makes you want to go throw up. It's the last thing you want to do. But here's here's the good news. You know, the most powerful thing. One of the most powerful ways that you can proclaim the gospel, I would say an essential way, is before you say any of that, this is what Jesus has done, is simply to offer real welcome. To simply say to someone who's a stranger, and maybe maybe someone who longs to be a part of a community, who longs to someone to say, it is good that you are here. That in simply offering that, That can be the most powerful proclamation of the gospel that we can give. Because you know what I found? I found that where there is welcome and where there is, this is something about human nature, that, that it's not where there is welcome and where there is belonging, that there is a also a radical openness to the message of that group. Have you ever noticed that? This is, why, this is why as parents, we're so concerned about who our kids hang around with. Because where there's a close friendship and where there's acceptance and where there's belonging, we know that our kids are going to listen to whatever those friends say. We know that. So doesn't it make sense that one of the most powerful ways the gospel can be proclaimed is for us to simply say, you belong. You belong. We, we welcome you. And then there's going to be a radical acceptance where there wasn't before of we want to share about who, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's one of the most powerful ways that we can proclaim the gospel. In other words, here's what Paul is telling us. That hospitality, hospitality, it's not just something that corporations do. Hospitality is not like an optional extra for churches. It's not something that just the big churches do because they're just putting on a show. That's not hospitality. Hospitality is not an optional extra. Hospitality is a gospel issue. Hospitality is a gospel issue. That you can be in a church environment where even though the gospel is proclaimed verbally, it is undermined by a lack of hospitality. Or, you, or the gospel, uh, a, a church environment may be such where the gospel message is maybe not proclaimed perfectly verbally. Maybe we don't get it exactly right. We don't get all the theological points right. But it is a more effective proclamation of the gospel simply because there is a radical hospitality. And it is a church community that welcomes people in the way that God in Christ has welcomed them. That's the good news. Yes. Amen. Amen. This, it is a gospel issue that we have the opportunity, just in the welcome that we give to people, to lead them to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, even the, even the, the you know who knows this? Even the people who do like the research. Because I've said this before, that when guests come to a church, they decide whether or not they're coming back 
before they even hear the church music or the sermon. They decide in the first five minutes, they drive into the church uh, parking lot whether or not they're going to come back. And you're like, well, what happens in the first five minutes that you're on a church park? Well, what happens is, is someone greet you in the parking lot? Do you know where to park? Do you know what door to go to? If you have kids, do you know where to take them? Does someone even speak to you? Do people even care that you're there? This is all hospitality, isn't it? It's a hospitality. That is a part of our proclamation of the gospel. Now, the good news is, anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. Big churches can do this. Little bitty churches can do this, right? Anyone can do this. Anyone can give hospitality. It's a, it's a gospel issue, and I think that's good news. It's not, so it's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. All right? Just thinking about Sunday mornings, and so often when I'm praying with our, our guest relations team before worship, our ushers and our greeters, you know, I usually pray something like, you know, Lord, help us to prepare people to experience you by the welcome we give to them. Man, what, what, that's awesome, isn't it? That, that in just giving people a warm welcome, you can open them up and prepare them to have an experience of God that perhaps they would not have otherwise. That's awesome. But that's what, that's what hospitality is. That's what welcome does for people. So let's, I want to talk about it. I want to get, I've been sort of selling you on it here for a few minutes. Let's talk about what, what does radical hospitality look like? Here's one thing. We tend to think of church hospitality as being friendly toward our visitors, right? Here's churches that that have been transformed by the gospel and that, that, that live out and practice radical hospitality. You can see it in just a change of two words, all right? Most churches, I found, in my experience, they think of it as being friendly toward visitors, Friendly toward visitors. Radical hospitality, I think, changes those two words. For one thing, let's, let's take friendly. We think welcoming as being friendly, don't we? But it is, again, is that how God has welcomed us? In, was God just friendly toward us? We're friendly toward strangers on the street. Friendly is good. I'm all for friendly, right? And we'll see, you know, certainly if you are unfriendly, then that can undermine your hospitality. But is it just being friendly? And the answer is, I think we can say, no, right? We think of this, it's, it's really not. In reality, welcoming is, is not just being friendly. Welcoming is saying to someone, not, not, we can say it in all kinds of ways, right? You are valuable to God, and you are valuable to us. You are valuable to God, and you are valuable to us. And we want you to be one of us. A gospel-centered church culture is a culture where when someone comes and they are a stranger, in, in nonverbal ways and in verbal ways, that, that community of faith says, we want you to be one of us. That is powerful. You know what else it is? It's rare. It's rare, isn't it? Years ago, when I was in college, I served as a youth pastor uh, in a church in the Mobile area. And uh, I remember I was, I was a youth pastor, so I got to meet all the, the, the youth and, the, and the parents. I knew them primarily. And one of the parents of the youth, uh, she confided in me once. She said, you know, we came to this church, we moved to this area, and we came into this church about 15 years ago. 
We've been in this church for 15 years. I've been a member of this church longer than I have any other congregation in my life. And she said, but I've always felt like an outsider. Because all the other parents of all the other youth, they, they grew up in this church. And they all came through youth group together. And, and they're, like, they're like the in crowd. And so she said, you know, they've always been friendly toward me. And they've always been nice to me. But, but in all kinds of ways, I, I'm, I, I just know I'm not one of them. And it's subtle. You know, again, they're nice to me. But when they all have their dinner parties, they never invite me. And when they go on their trips, they never invite me. I was like, wow. She was always, she was like the perpetual visitor and never a member. Radical hospitality would have been saying, you know what, even though you didn't grow up with us in youth group, and even though you haven't been here as long as we have, you are one of us. Going back to a few weeks ago, we talked about how a gospel-centered congregation turns outward. There's something in us that wants to turn inward. And I, you, know, you can kind of connect the dots, can't you? That part of radical hospitality is, is sort of battling that tendency to just bend inward and, and bend outward. Say, so, you know what? There's something in us that wants to kind of get in our groups and, and, and no one else can get in. And a part of this is saying, you know what? Because God didn't do that with us. Because God welcomed us and, and made us one of his. We're going to battle that tendency to become inward focused and we're going to invite others to be a part of our group so they are truly one of us. That's being welcoming. And so you can see, it goes far beyond just being friendly. Here's another one. We don't have good... Rad, churches that practice radical hospitality, they don't have visitors. You know that? They don't have visitors. No visitors. Because a visitor... A visitor... Okay, look, you know, you know what a visitor is? A visitor is, you know, you're getting up on Sunday morning, on Saturday morning, you know, maybe you're sitting there reading coffee, you're still in your pajamas, you know, you're reading the paper. I'm sorry, did I say reading your coffee? You're reading your paper, <laughs> drinking your coffee. It was right in my head. Um, right? And the doorbell rings, and you're not expecting anyone. And if you're like me and Amy, I'm like, should we get the gun? You know, I, I'm not expecting anyone. Are you expecting someone? I'm not expecting anyone. And you go to the door, and it's, you can see they got the clipboard, and they're, they're selling something, right? Now, they're a visitor, and I don't want them to be there. And my goal is to get rid of them as quickly. Now, I'm going to be friendly to the visitor, but I'm not going to be welcoming to the visitor. Oh, come on in. No, I want him to leave as quickly as I can get him out of there, right? That's a visitor. But a guest is different. Guest is different. If you invite a guest over for dinner, see, with a visitor, I didn't prepare for the, the vacuum machine salesperson. I didn't prep for him. I want to get him out as quickly as I can. But a guest, if I invite you over for dinner, what, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to get everything set up real nice, right? Maybe burn one of those little smelly candles to, you know, make the room smell nice or, you know, all that stuff. I'm going I'm to prepare because I want you to have a great experience. That's, that's a guest. So, Churches that practice radical, radical hospitality, they don't have visitors. They got guests. It's different. It's different. That's why as much as I, I've tried to, I've tried to change all of our language from visitor to guest. Right? Because words matter. That would be easy to say, ah, it's just a word. Words matter. Words matter, don't they? Right? 
So in truth, hospitality is being welcoming. We want you to be one of us to our guests. Um, here's another one. I found this a while back. This was on Tom Rainer. He, does, uh, he, re- leads, uh, he heads up Lifeway, which they're Baptists, but it's okay. We can use them anyway. Um, and he, <laughs> he did some research on, on the top ten ways that churches drive away guests. So these are all bad. These are all bad examples, but we can kind of turn them around and see the, the, the positive uh, flip side to it. And I thought it would be a little fun to do it. So because any of y'all Jay uh, uh, Letterman fans? Any Letterman fans? Right? Right? Top, so we're going to do it like a top ten list. Here we go. This is from number ten to number one. Number, uh, number ten, dirty facilities. People say dirty facilities. Uh, they come in. You can tell the place isn't clean. There's some junk kind of hanging around the corner. You know, again, the, the, it, it's pretty clear that people aren't expecting guests. They're not really preparing for guests. That, that's a big turnoff. Number nine, members telling guests that they were in their seat or pew. Yes, it still happens. And we probably all have our stories. I've got mine. By the way, I'm a pretty nice guy. I've, you know, someone said to me just a couple weeks ago, I can't imagine you getting mad, Clint, right? But if you ever want to see me lose my top, not literally, but if you want to see me lose it, if I see that happen, boy, I'm going to go off the rails, okay? Um, matter of fact, I, I told this story a while back. Uh, years ago at another congregation, I talked about this issue, and I said, I just was just off the cuff. I said, you know, what if, what, if, what if every Sunday we just sat in a different spot so we didn't have our spot, right? And, and I, there was a guy in my, in my church, and he was a lawyer. Now he teaches law up in Maine. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever known, and he took it seriously. And for the next three years that I was at that church, he sat in a different spot in a different pew every single Sunday. It was awesome. He did it faithfully. It was great. Uh, that's number nine. Number eight, boring or bad service, right? Now, I kind of think it's encouraging. This is just number eight. That, you know, if I just preach a bomb, it lets me know that if we do all the other stuff right, that, you know, we can kind of offset it. But, but that, you know, you do have to kind of be concerned about the quality of your service. Number seven, in, this one I'm, I'm guilty of, insider church language. That, that you, you, and this is something that happens so easy. You just have, have your insider language, don't you? Um, and you may not even think about it. It could be uh, like a church announcement says, well, the, uh, the UMWs meeting in the WCA outside of the, you know, the, the, the Narthex. Uh, and they don't know what UMW means or the Narthex means. Or, you know, we all know what that means, but outsiders don't know what that means. That's why I was thinking about this a few weeks ago. I don't know. Did you all notice we, we changed some of the language in the bulletin. Did y'all notice that? All right, because we got the Gloria, Gloria Patri, right, which is Latin, by Latin, a language that hasn't been spoken in like 1,500 years. You know what Gloria Patra means in Latin? Glory to the Father. That's what it means. So I was sitting there with Pam, and I was like, you know, what if we just reworded it, glory to the Father? That's what it means. I mean, Latin. We don't even know Latin. I bet you, you know, church members don't even know that. And then we had the doxology. The doxology, right? Uh, you know what doxology means? Praise God. So we just change it. Praise God from whom all blessings. You know, just, we just... Because like, I think it will... If you, if you haven't been in church in a long time, maybe you've never been in church, you come in, you're like, Gloria Patri. Is that a name? It is, you know, Gloria... Anyway, so... Just thinking about that kind of thing is, um, is important. <clears throat> Here we go. 
bad church, uh, poor signage. Ours has gotten better, by the way. Um, but, you know, when you walk into it, even I've, I've, been, I've been amazed, even as simple as our church campus is, how people still get lost. They still don't know where to go. So having signage as much as you can saying, go here, go here, you know, this is where you go to get here. That, that's important. Number five, bad church website. Ours is pretty good, I think. Uh, but, but I'll tell you, when I'm, when I'm out of town and I'm looking for a church to visit on a Sunday, I'll go to the church's websites, and I'm usually looking for two things. Where are they, and what time is their service? And sometimes I've got to click like 18 different times to find those two things, and it's amazing. So I, I, I agree with that one. Number four, no place to get information. This is an area we can do better. Uh, just having a, a place where you can come you know, get information about the church. Number three, unsafe and unclean children's area. We've done a lot of work to try and improve this, here at Highland Park, I'll give you a little kudos, by the way. One of the most recent things is we put in the children's check-in area where you can check in your children. And when the bishop came back in February, as we're, I was showing him around, he said, oh, you have a check-in area. That's good. So he gave us kudos on that. So now we just got to get it working really well. So uh, number three. Number two, unfriendly church members. Now, this one's not a surprise, but here's what was interesting. Um, the surprise was that the number of people who responded, they, they basically said th- the, the people were friendly, but it kind of was like they were faking it. You know, it was like fake friendliness. So, again, th- there was friendliness, but not welcome. You know, they, they could perceive they're just going through the motions. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Just fake it better. No, I think, I think it's that what kind of goes to that welcome thing, doesn't it? Now, here's the number one thing. Here's the number one. And I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this because uh, I'm just the number one thing. And Tom Rainer said this was by it wasn't just one by a small margin. It was the number one thing that turned away guests by a huge margin. Can you guess what it is? Ah, good guess. But no. Nope. You ready? You ready? Having a stand-up-and-greet-one-another time in worship. Yep. Uh, we used to. I, I, I stopped doing it at a previous church. You know why? Because one Sunday, one thing, it went on for like 10 minutes. But one time, and I always felt like I had to go down and greet everyone. Oh, hello, you know. But for one Sunday, I decided, and I can't remember why, I decided I'm going to stand back. I started stayed up in the worship area, and I watched. And we had about five first-time visitors that Sunday. And I watched, and and what I saw was all of them were just standing there like this. And no one was speaking to them. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So, anyway. Once in a blue moon, here's my confessional. Once in a blue moon, I will do this. And, And if I do, here's why. I've left something of vital importance to my sermon, either in the sound room or in my office, and the only way I can figure to get back and retrieve it is to do this for about 30 seconds so I can run back. So anyway, I'm just giving you a little bit of a little bit of confessional. So that was fun. That was fun. All right, so let's get practical. Let's get practical. I don't have to go real fast because I don't want to go over. So, you know. I got this from a book uh, on, hosp- on church hospitality called, uh, the book is called Clip-In, and I got it if you want to borrow it. But they have something called the 10, the 510 link rule. And, and basically, the five refers to, they say, train the people of your church for the five minutes before the service begins and the five minutes after the service ends 
um, to find someone they don't know and to welcome them. Um, so I mean, you can still talk to your, but we can still talk to our buddies and catch up on the football games and the basketball games or whatever it may be. But just decide, okay, for the five minutes right before the service and the five minutes right after, I'm going to find someone who I don't know and welcome them and, and greet them. What's interesting is they said that the, almost the most important five minutes really isn't the five minutes before the worship. It's really the five minutes after the worship, um, which is, they said, that's, that's the key, the, the key time. Uh, the 10 refers to uh, its distance. When someone you don't know comes within 10 feet of you, you decide, okay, you kind of have this mental picture of 10 feet. And if someone you don't know comes with it, you, you kind of grab them and you say, hey, let me, uh, let me welcome you. And my name is da-da-da-da. And uh, let me introduce you to, which brings us into the link. Link is uh, find a way, and this kind of goes into moving beyond friendly to being welcoming. You find a way to link people um, to others in the church who share a common or similar affinity. And here I'm going to, I'm going to use Lee and Steve. Y'all come on up. Uh, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to do some training here. So, so this would be, this would be if, if I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the hallway, and I, I'm, I've been well trained in the 510 link rule, and uh, Lee comes in, and she comes within 10 feet of me, right? Oh, oh, hi. My name is Clint. I'm Lee. You're Lee? What? Lee, where are you from? Pell City, that's amazing. I know someone else from Pell City, Alabama. Uh, you know, come here, Steve. Steve was raised in Pell City, Alabama. And yeah, see. Awesome. See? What just happened? A linked, com- common affinity, right? And, and that, that, so already there's, there's a feeling of, oh, this is a place I can belong, isn't it? Now, here's another. Let's be honest. Uh, if you are, uh, let's say you come into the sanctuary or outside and you see someone and they're guests, maybe you've seen them before, you know them in the community. What is, what, what, what is probably the most common thing that's going to keep you from going up and talking to them? You forgot their name, right? Um, that's one of the reasons we have these, right? But this is only helps if we have one, right? So, here, and I learned this from the same book. Here's, and, and listen, I am the worst at remembering names in the world. But what you can do is most of us, when we're growing up, learn social cues about this sort of thing. And there's some simple ways that you can leverage the social cues to kind of eliminate the name embarrassment. Right? And here they are. When you forget names, number one, you can go up and say, hi, my name is, my name is Clint. Nine times out of ten, they will respond with, oh, my name is Steve. All right? Now, so, but you say, okay, that works if they're a stranger. What happens if it's someone you met last week and you learned their name and you've already forgotten it? What do you do? Here's what you do. You can say, Steve, hi, I'm, I'm Clint. Look, help me with your name. Dave. <laughs> Dave, thank you, Dave. <laughs> Everyone wants to help. So if you say, help me with your name, it will, it will, again, nine times out of ten, I'm, you know, maybe one time out of a hundred, someone will get offended. But most of the time they'll say, oh, you know, I, I, same thing happens to me. My name is Dave or Steve or whatever it may be. Now, um, let's see. Here's, here's the next one. Um, let's say, and this, this has happened to me. This is really big. Let's say you, I meet them and I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link Dave or Steve uh, to, to, to Lee over here and in the 10 seconds of taking him over to meet Lee, I've forgotten his name. That happens to me all the time. Did that ever happen to you? It's one of the most embarrassing things. Here's what you can do. 
Hi, uh, hey, have you met Lee? That's the way you can worm your way out of that, right? Now, 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 let's say you are so bad at names that you, you meet Steve and you bring him over to Lee and in the 10 seconds you've forgotten Steve's name and you also can't remember Lee's name. Here's what you can do. There, you can, there is a social cue you can leverage. You ready? Hey, have you two met? The social cue, they will introduce themselves to each other. You see? Four things you can remember. Four things you can remember. Uh, so thank you, guys. You guys did great. Okay. Yeah, seriously. That, again, some practical ways that we can sort of... That's why I found it's one of the most... Um, um, one of the ways that we can sort of eliminate that. Now, I'll tell you what. Um, Harvest Church, and they've done a lot of work at this... Uh, they, they also found that a lot of people will not talk to visitors or greeters because they're afraid they've got bad breath. And so they have, they have bowls of mints all around their sanctuary for people to use the mints. That's actually something I probably might do one of these days. So if you find a bowl of mints sitting outside the sanctuary one day, that's probably why. So anyway, if, you have been, if you've been moved by this and you feel like, you know, I, I really want to be more involved with hospitality, grab me after the service because we're looking to expand our guest relations team. Easter's coming up, and Easter's going to be time. We're going to have to have, obviously, a lot more hospitality in place because we're going to have a lot of guests, and we want to be prepared. So just see me after the service. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. Offering radical hospitality it is a way for us to communicate the gospel of Jesus because saying to the stranger, you belong here, we want you to be one of us, it communicates the gospel to them in a way that is far deeper than just sharing the four spiritual laws or, or something like that. And, and one of the reasons it does is because I believe everybody, deep down, has a fear that they are not welcome. Everybody's got a fear, deep down, some more than others, but has a, has a fear that they're not welcome. And it's not just that they're not welcome in a church. Or they're not welcome in this town. Well, we have a fear that we're not welcome in this world. And, and I sh- I've shared this quote before, but I want to close with this quote from Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a, a Catholic writer and a Catholic priest, and he was a spiritual director uh, for, for a lot of people. And he had a way of just sort of seeing uh, into the heart of how the gospel works in our lives. And he wrote, he wrote about this, and I want to share this as, as a closing. This is what Henry Nouwen wrote. He wrote... Not being welcome is your greatest fear. It connects with your birth fear, your fear of not being welcome in this life, and your death fear. You're not being, your fear of not being welcome in the life after this. It is a deep-seated fear that it would have been better, listen, if you had not lived. You know, there are people all around us and they, they, they live with the fear that it would have been better if they had not even been born. Here you are facing the core of the spiritual battle. Are you going to give in to forces of darkness that say that you are not welcome in this life? Or can you trust the voice of the one who came not to condemn you, but to set you free from fear? You have to choose for life. Or I would say for us, we get to proclaim this life. At every moment, 
You have to trust a voice that says, I love you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. Everything Jesus is saying to you can be summarized in the words, know that you are welcome. Jesus offers you his own most intimate life with the Father. He wants his home to be yours. Yes, he wants to prepare a place for you in his Father's house. Keep reminding yourself that your feelings of being unwelcome do not come from God and do not tell the truth. The prince of darkness wants you to believe that your life is a mistake and that there is no home for you. But every time you allow these thoughts to affect you, you set on the road to self-destruction. We've all seen that, haven't we? Or maybe experienced it. So you have to keep unmasking the lie because it is a lie. And think, speak, and act according to the truth that you are very, very welcome. When we welcome people, we are saying to them, it is good that you are here, it is good that you were born, and you know what? People need to hear that. People need to hear that. People need to hear that because it's true. And we get to share it. So let's share it and do everything we can, everything we can, everything we can, short of sin, to communicate to people that they are welcome. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you indeed have shown us this hospitality. You have, you have given us this kind of welcome. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now, we just like pray that you would... Whoa. <laughs> that stayed in there from last week. Well, that was a complete interruption of my prayer. All right, I'm just going to start over again. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have given to us this kind of welcome. Help us. Help us, help us to share this kind of welcome uh, to those that, that come into the life of our congregation. When we go do the, the park day, help us to give this kind of welcome. When we go around the community, help us to give this kind of welcome. As Easter is upcoming, help us to give this kind of welcome. And Lord, help us to see that this is a big part of our proclaiming the gospel. It's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen.